I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. But even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth I need to listen to it. it it's a bop, as the kids would say. Actually, that's what my kids would say, like, last year? It's have you gotten now. into much Gen Z slang? No, I have no contact. Gen Z slang is the most... It's not, it's okay. Every, every generation kind of has their slang, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I was born in 75 and in the eighties, I remember like one of the things we would say is like, um, like there was bodacious for something that was great. It's bodacious, man. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, bogus, totally bogus. Bogus, (laughs) totally bogus. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know it meant fake. <laughs> I just wanted that. That sucks, man. It's stupid. Totally bogus. Bogus. And you know, see also the Goonies for all of the '80s slang. But my kids, Gen Zers or Zoomers, as they sometimes refer to themselves, have it. It not only is weird in, in my mind because I'm old, but it changes a lot like really fast. Like like couple, last year a couple years ago like calling someone a chad like he's such a chad like that's a good thing. That's bad. It's a good thing. No. Yeah. And I said it the other day I'm like so is this person a chad? And they're like dad no. <laughs> Nobody says that. <laughs> and uh I have to have one of my kids cap. Yeah, no cap. No cap. I can't remember if it's yes cap or no cap. No cap is no lie. But if see, if I said that now to one of my kids, <laughs> they'd be like, you're losing your mind, dad. <laughs> no cap. It's just funny. And there, there are actually a couple uh, Gen Z slang translators. So there's fam, uh, stan something. You stan it. I don't understand that one. I don't understand stan. Does it mean you like something? It, yes. If you stand someone, you're obsessed, but not in a creepy way. <laughs> you can simp, which means to reduce down to its smallest. Simplify, right? Uh, it it's someone who has. To simp means if you're simp, Mac? if you're a simp, you have way someone who does <laughs> way too much for the person they have a crush on. You're a tryhard, but tryhard is some is like. A, Three years ago, word. You don't say try hard anymore. I don't say it ever. <laughs> uh, a bop, a song, like I said, a, a song or a album exceptionally good. Um, living rent free in your head, that, that's bet. I don't understand bet. It uh, says, simply put, this slang term means yes and can be used to confirm something. It can be compared to the millennial term word. Oh, thank you. That's what I needed. Word. Bussin, sus, small S-M-O-L. Yeah, it just goes on and on. But the the second you think you have it, you don't have it. No. No. It's moving too fast because the method of communication or propagation was elementary school slash middle school yeah. lunch and recess. <laughs> right, recess. That so there's a there's a physical limitation to our uh our slang making it across the nation, mm-hmm. not counting maybe movies or songs. But with a three second long or thirty second long format, everyone's in their homes. Yeah. I think I think that it the transmission rate or R what is that? R squared value? Yeah, that's what it is. That's the wrong thing. 
Well, meme just means something that's catchy. So memes are probably can we can probably there probably is an R value for transmission and like how long it lasts because they translate they transmit in hyperspeed and then they don't last it very doesn't long. Doesn't last very long. No. Yep. The no my, cap. I I think I don't think I don't remember our um, words being really undecipherable for my parents. I think that it was very much easy to understand, but mm-hmm. we had tight, right, tight, and sick, and that's it. And word, <laughs> that's all I can remember. Yeah, the best thing to do is just to just to admit that you are old and that you have that you're not going to catch up. But you, when your son is older. When you know when his generation starts coming up with their bizarro slang, the the goal is to learn just enough to know what it means and to purposely use it wrong. Yeah, it's kind of like your eye roll. Exactly, it's kind of your your duty as a father. I think it's in the manual. Yep. Yes, it is a, a tradition I will certainly take up with pride. Oh yeah, no cap, no cap. So, I don't feel old, but I know that I am. I had a conversation about how old something was that I owned, and it was like very recently that I bought this. And then my wife <laughs> asked me, "When did I buy it?" And I said, "In college," which was very recently. <laughs> and she was like, "No, no, honey, you're you're old." Oh, so I boy. suppose. I suppose maybe I am. Oh, man. I Trying to pay people in non-cash forms is very difficult for me. So I I, <laughs> I purchased an item and uh, from my friend, and I was like, how do I pay you? And she gave me two options, and they were both these newfangled <laughs> phone like payment Venmo options. Or something? It was Venmo and Apple Pay. And so I may be wrong about this, but I think you have to have an Apple device to use Apple Pay. Is that correct? I am not completely sure. I I would expect so. Well, I Googled it and felt like I was watching my grandma Google something. It was like, how to Google Bing? Because I was like, (laughs) can you use Apple Pay on an Android? Like, it's probably so obvious that I should not be Googling it. And Google's just rolling its eyes at, at how old I am. And so I did not figure that out. And then Venmo, I figured out how to find it and download it. And then you have to confirm that you're a human. And I and I couldn't. Venmo didn't didn't believe me. So I was like, I can't pay you. I have no way. Give me another. Can I mail you a check? Wow. You are old, oh. Nathan. You're younger yeah. than me, but you're old somehow. Yeah. I, I, I think I passed you about five years ago. I would certainly, it would be so much easier. I have a bunch of envelopes right here in front of me and a stamp book and a checkbook. A I checkbook? can, I can, yeah. I, uh, and I've, it's the, it's security envelopes. So that perfectly fit my, uh, nice. Here's my, I'm just going to prove that I'm not lying. Here's my stamps forever stamps because inflation, right? Yep. hundred percent saving money. Yeah, so. Most of my investment are in forever stamps. So I can send checks to people at the original price that I paid for them. You are a wise man. <laughs> and I uh feel I feel like now is a good time to mention my brother's Kickstarter. Oh yeah, he's kicked that off. Yeah, Daniel Wheat, whose songs you recognize. Um he's putting together a full album. And uh, using Kickstarter to help get him from here to where you need to be, which is a mastered and produced uh, record, which takes quite a bit of work. So if you like his music or you haven't heard it and you're interested, um, you could find him um, at Kickstarter. Look for Daniel Wheat or The In Between is the album or the Facebook group or social media all over the place. I'm excited for this. Um, Daniel and I lived together for a long time, and uh, he wrote a lot of songs while while I was here. 
we played music together a lot. It was a lot of fun. So I'm I'm glad he's finally putting this together for the for the world. Yeah, I remember several years ago you guys performed in down in Old Town, Fort Collins. The Wheat Brothers. You guys are fantastic. That's right. That was so much fun. Yeah. I if I could rewind and and go back and do it all over again, uh I would have more live music uh, in my life. I I love playing live music. I'm not even that I'm not very technically talented at any particular thing, mm-hmm. but I just like the feeling and the rush of live music. Actually, I'm I should back up. I'm actually very very bad at live music, especially if it involves lyrics. I am guaranteed to get whatever we practiced over and over and over wrong. And there's several people who could confirm um, that that is the case. So, well, I have, I have video evidence that you can nail it. You, you did pretty, pretty good. Especially that the, the, you played Island, that song of his, which is on the new album, by the way. Good but, song. And like that, that part at the end, which is like just the vocals. And you, you got like super high. It's kind of a screamy part. Yep. Yeah. It's fantastic, man. It's good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's so, all Daniel. Yeah. I was just I was just screaming in the background. <laughs> so his Kickstarter goes for another few weeks. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty short. Um just trying to kind of wrap up the the record here. So it ends March twenty sixth. All right, March twenty sixth is the end. Yeah. Yeah. Link in show notes. Well, so last time we responded to some questions, um, because once again, our answers are lacking, but <laughs> so at least their response. And uh, so we, we got some more, as promised, right? Yeah, there was a big, big pile of cues, and each one of them deserves its own um, guest and book and deep dive and mini-series, so there's a lot here that we are not able... We're just scratching the surface. But I really appreciate all the questions that came in. It's so so fun to watch just the Following the Fire Facebook group go off on its own and, and kind of provide support, self-sustaining support, and then fun when we get to interact like this. Um, it's been fun so far. So let's 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 hit a few more cues. Nathan, what what you got for us next? I really like this question. I want to hear what you have to say, um, Steve. This question, why did God create us in such a way that we can not only remember, but relive the worst traumas over and over oh. again? That's, oh boy. Yeah. That's hard. It's kind of right up there, honestly, with the, the whole problem of pain in general. Yes. And... Answers that I've heard are things like, well, that's how we grow. That's like God's ways are higher than our ways. <laughs> you know, insert platitude. Yeah. But um, I mean, there, there are reasons why you might want to remember trauma. So you, you can avoid the situation again. Maybe that's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think this goes greatly to, there are some Christian platitudes that do no service to this kind of question because there is a tremendous amount of real pain behind a question like this. Mm -hmm. And there are a tremendous amount of people who struggle with this kind of thing, exact thing. And there's, this is not a, why did God do this? But there, I have a personal hope in a redemption and restoration of the world so I have hope for a future where that is not the case anymore mm-hmm. and where um, where where people who are tormented today are free from that. And I, I do believe that that I mean, that is my my hope for the future. I know that for certain people, there is some hope even today in community or therapy or medication or whatever. But I also know that for some people like that is not like there's not just the silver bullet that 
that just makes that go away or gives that a purpose um, or a greater kind of meaning in life. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like generally or scientifically, I'm kind of uh, pro pain. I'm, I'm on the side of pain because I think that pain helps us to stop indicates when there's a problem and indicates where the problem is. So I actually have trouble envisioning a redeemed world that doesn't have pain. Mm-hmm. And that's now too detailed for my uh, <laughs> theological knowledge. But it works really well when it's small, but I don't, I think it can be extremely damaging when the pain is not small. And those mm-hmm. things that are helpful and useful uh, are now fighting against us. And, and so I, you know, I think that the Christian platitudes that people want to say, you're never given more than you can handle, or they're, God has a purpose for everything, or God is going to work for the good in everything. And I think sometimes it's just not as easy as your individual pain has a specific purpose, or mm-hmm. or it's this, there's a better thing that's coming out of it. I So I don't, so I don't know why, and I don't think it's fair or good or or anything. But I do believe that the more that we bring our trauma to other and our pain to other people in community, and that we are honest about that and humble about those things that mm-hmm. we're going through, uh, I think that the better we can support each other and the like, more honest, decent human beings we can be. I think I think that the ticket of admission is sharing those torments or faults or pains or mistakes or whatever those things are. And even though there's probably no good reason and it's frustrating and and not fair and difficult, it also is, you are certainly the most equipped to help other people who are also going through that at the same time or Mm. 10 years after you. Is that why we go through that? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have an answer for why, but mm-hmm. but I do think that church communities or or love communities are the ones where those things are out on the open instead of hidden and on the inside because we are, there's a lot of that going around, um, probably more than people think, and uh, I think we only benefit from um, showing those parts of ourselves to other people. Yeah, share your burdens. It's good advice. Somewhere beyond the blue, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you I I went to all the easy ones first, (laughs) so now we have whoppers. So. Um, when will institutional racism get the attention that it deserves from leaders within the American church? Oh, that's easy. Never. Next. Yeah. Never, (laughs) ever, ever. (laughs) Next question. We are rocking this. Uh, In all seriousness, though. Yeah. Why Why not? not? That's the, that's the the question. Um, So I, I don't think the problem with, politics and church and all that it's all wrapped up together i mean it's always been wrapped up together which is why i think it's been so i'm i'm glad that our country has the separation of church and state and i don't want it it scares me that it's starting to recombine at least on one side of the aisle more than the other it seems like but it, it this the fact it's it's all tied it up in power um, I wouldn't even necessarily say money. It's, it's usually like follow the money, but it's and money is on kind of a stand-in for power for a lot of people. And I think there's just so much money and power tied up in institutional racism that a lot of people aren't going to see it. They're going to deny that it hap- that it's there, and so. Th- People are going to deny it, and and then there are people who know it's there and want to continue it. I don't know. It's hard to answer that question without just starting to sound really depressing. 
Yeah, and I think something you're hinting there that there is institutional racism in yeah. the church or institutional problems in the church. And kind of like you mentioned, you know, about misogyny, the people who you need to be convinced to look into the problem mm-hmm. may be complicit in the problem. So that's problematic. I think institutional racism, when will it get the attention it deserves? There are certainly churches that are addressing institutional racism, like the black church. And I'm sure there are churches who maybe favor a more engaged, maybe social justice centered community that are, that are doing this. But I think the problematic part here is from leaders within the American church there are several steps and hurdles in between where we are today and addressing something like this head on. Um, I think that there are a lot of congregations where this sermon would cause several families to stand up and walk out of a church because our culture Mm -hmm. is just not primed for that kind of a message because it does sound political or, radical maybe and for me our our trouble or our hurdle here in america is individualism so we are the most individual country on the planet if we were the most alcoholic nation in the planet then we mm-hmm. would that would change how we read scripture that would change what problems we see or don't see or what our blind spots are We happen to be the most individualist country. And so something like institutional racism doesn't exist in an individualist view. It's like a materialist trying to look for a ghost. Individualists don't believe in problems outside the individual or responsibility outside the the individual. And so we just don't even have the, the cultural background to recognize the importance of collectivism, of collective responsibility, of collective culpability. That's a really good point because what I hear a lot from people is, I'm not racist, my family's not racist, so how can there be institutional racism? I hear that, so that's kind of one aspect of the individualist thing. But then there's the other aspect of how can a system be racist a system is a thing it's not a person only people are racist yeah and then you're like you just like you can try to describe how well it can be set up so it's you know it's hard and the the answer by the way if we got this right it's not just institutional racism that would maybe get attention that it deserves from the, the american church meaning hey christians you have a role in understanding, seeing, and then dismantling systemic racism. That's a huge, that's a huge leap from where we are today. But if we, to do, to remove the hurdles to get there and acknowledge maybe the biblical emphasis on collective responsibility, the biblical ideas about justice being individual, but also very, very much collective and societal. Mm -hmm. And the, the, even Maybe the metric by which we're judged is how us as people, not me as person, treat the alien, the stranger, the the outcast, the woman, you know, the poor. Mm -hmm. But if we got ourselves there, we don't just address institutional racism. We address institutional and collective sins of all kinds, like Mm -hmm. um, colonialism is a collective kind of sin or Mm -hmm. The problems, there's upsides and downsides to capitalism. And as Christians, we are not capitalists. We are outside of this system and we can critique and live in and use or not use or reject any kind of system that we are outside of. Or sexual abuse, which tends to be a collective and institutional problem. Yeah. Not... I think maybe as we see it as just one person, one problem, 
you know, it's, it's institutions that create power differentials and cover it uh, up motivations to cover up certain yeah. kinds of things. So there would be tremendous value in moving the needle in individual churches from pure individualism to some amount of collectivism. And that would feel weird and unnatural for a lot of us because we are Americans first and individualists. It reminds me of my trouble when I pray the Lord's prayer, hmm. which I try to do daily and I don't do daily, but what do you mean? Um, what do you mean your trouble? So I want the Lord's prayer to be my father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom. Mm. Give me my daily bread and forgive me my sins as I forgive the people who sin against me and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one because I'm an individual and it feels unnatural for me to actually pray like Jesus asked me to pray which is a collective prayer. Forgive us our sins and forgive those who have sins against us. It it it's from a very much a collective mindset. Yeah, you know, I feel like I probably should go forward on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> because I honestly I never thought about that. The our versus my. Cuz you know you say our Father in heaven. Just in, it's right there in the book. But I have always thought of that as my, you know? Never thought of it in a collective sense. I'm, you know, I'm super American, I guess. Um, but you're right. I mean, hmm. There's a lot more collective uh, stuff, collectivism stuff in the Bible than I think we realize. Yeah, and we just miss it. We're, we're we have yeah. the the glasses on that filter out that collective stuff. The parable of the sower. I love the example you've shared before of how a collective society might read into the the famine that hits the person, and an individual society would read into the moral failings of the son. Oh, the right? prodigal same son. Same story. The prodigal son. Did I say the good Samaritan? The sower. They're all collective. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I could probably make the sower collective as well. Oh, yeah. But it's hard to see it, and you're never going to see it if nobody shows it to you. If you live inside this, of no fault of your own, very, very individualist society that doesn't know it's in an individualist society. Fish don't know they're in the ocean. Yep. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of something my my boss has told me for a long time that people perform to what they are measured by and so if you if you're in a culture that values individualism and values rub, being a rebel you know like revolutionary people in the, in the 1700s then you're going to perform toward that you want you want to be accepted as a revolutionary and a rebel yeah. and an individual. And it also reminded me of this Upton, Upton Sinclair quote. He said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. Such great. And you, yeah, you, I mean, you could take <laughs> that salary word and put in so many things. His, um, Identity. His identity, his power. And uh, so when someone's happiness or comfort or anything depends on not understanding something, they're not going to understand it. We've said this many times before, but the human mind has is f so fantastic at building and just maintaining its own sense of reality that is not real. So... yeah. I mean, I, I mean, jokingly, yeah. The that I don't, I sadly don't think that just because we're humans, I don't think that we will ever get to the point where the church fully accepts uh, and deals with racial system uh, systemic racism like it should. But I think in order for it, like if you flipped it around a little bit and said, "Well, what would it take for that to happen?" A boatload of humility. 
for one, and maybe that's enough, but it, I think it, it requires you to have more empathy, which includes getting outside of yourself, which means possibly maybe having a more collective uh, approach to your faith. And that's that's one thing that I've struggled with a little bit with the whole deconstruction thing is it seems to be kind of an American thing. I don't know how it's going with other countries, but every single person doing the deconstruction seems to be kind of a lone wolf doing it on their own, figuring it out themselves. Yeah. Which on, on some level is fine because you need to, you know, you need to have the, the sense in your, in your heart and your soul that you're going where you should. And that's one reason I know we keep talking about this Facebook group, <laughs> but that's one reason I'm really thankful for this Facebook group because it's, it's kind of become not just a discussion about topics, but kind of a, a support for each other to kind of bounce ideas back and forth, ask hard questions like about the existence of God and what does that mean or not mean. And if you're doing this, if you're trying to be a, a lone wolf on this deconstruction stuff, you're, I, I think you're missing out or you're in danger of missing some, some of the, uh, some of the edge edges that you don't see. Yeah. That's interesting. Even it can be such a lonely thing just by its nature if you left or feel like you need to leave or feel on the outside of your religious community. Mm -hmm. But even in that state, we're not meant to be alone and we're still collective beings who are going to suffer when we're, when we're in that state. That's a really good yeah. point. Yeah. So I would say, I agree, never ever going to happen. But if you want to be real sneaky and you want it to happen in your church, you don't say CRT and you don't say racism and you don't say institutional and you don't say social, but <laughs> you just sneak a tiny bit of surprising collectivism in there. And collectivism, Christians, American Christians love to be counterculture. We love to be like fighting for the thing that is makes us weird compared to our culture. And wow, collectivism would really make us weird compared to our culture. Communal <laughs> confession and acknowledgement of our ancestors' sins, that's nuts. Um, so Insanity. just sneak a little bit of collectivism in there and uh, and it, that'll, that seed will turn into fruit of, of more and more interesting things, I think. Heaven stopped my heart and Lord, what will I do? me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore uh, so do these questions get easier or harder or they all this way the next one is I have no answer to the next one so harder okay, okay. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> all right this is a great question. Three question marks, and it deserves three question marks. <laughs> Where is the mother in it all? Oh. And to elaborate on the question, uh, here's a, were Catholics onto something with Mary? Are pagans onto something with Mother Earth or Mother Nature? It bothers me. I want to understand. In Genesis, it says we are created in the image of God, male and female. Um, now that men and the patriarchy don't have complete control of the script, I want to know more about the feminine side and aspect of God. Hmm. Hmm. So where's the mother in it all? That's really a good question. It's a fantastic question. I love questions that make you realize that there's an entire hole in your understanding, a blind spot. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like if, so kind of the subtext to that question maybe is, should there be a mother in it all? Um, I mean, some people are going to ask that and say, well, mother's not in there cause God's a man or whatever. <laughs> God's a he, but I mean, there are scriptures where there's imagery of God as a mother giving birth, uh, mother hen, protecting their chicks, that kind of stuff. 
was Lady Wisdom. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of imagery about that, but I think we get so stuck on the pronoun he and father, things like that, that which I think that honestly comes from just the the history of the, the fact that men have been in charge of stuff, the, the patriarchy. But I, I think like you know, you and I changed our intro starting in episode 41. Specifically, one of the reasons I, we wanted to change it is to remove the reference to God as he. Now, you can call God he. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Maybe it doesn't matter to him or her or them. <laughs> um, but I think it's a mistake to go too far down the road of, of I, th- I think it's a mistake to argue too much that God is, is a gender. I think that's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I'll, let me think about this a little bit more. You, you, you talk for a bit. <laughs> I, I do. That's the kind of the main point that I thought of. So I, I do think it's a great question. What, why masculine, masculine, why father and son and he, he, he all over the place, mm-hmm. even um, in a quick, cursory Wikipedia level search of the Holy Spirit. There are attempts to make the Holy Spirit masculine as well. What is with that? And in a moment where we're seeing very much real damage done by the very hierarchical and patriarchal structures that cultural Christians want to hang on to as if it's gospel. So I think a valid question is, well, if that is if that is not correct, if that creation order or the male headhood, is that it? Headship. Headship. Thank you. Um, If not that, then what can we go back to the Bible for clues or to God's nature for, for clues? And I think there's an absurdity that if you asked someone who is really, really up in arms about God being a he and using the correct pronouns for God, there is absurdity at the end of that logical statement. And to warn those listening with children about upcoming anatomical descriptions of God, um, (laughs) do we think God has a penis? Do we think that God is, is a man when we say he, and then, and then we very strictly say we have to adhere to that or else, we're committing some kind of a sin. Do, what do we think God is? And what do we think it would even mean for God to be a man and not a woman? It's absurd. We're painting up from, from our, our own understanding of maybe our, our place in the universe to a spirit, not creation, not male, female, not matter, not, not body being where that kind of distinction makes no sense at all. It's like mm-hmm. calling a plank of wood male and not female. <laughs> well, it depends on which language you're speaking, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're a, if you're a most biblical scholars and historians, they would say, well, that's because the original concept of God was a very, 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 very much male. You know, there's a, book that was recommended to me. I haven't read it yet. It's called God and an anatomy. It's by Francesca Stavrakopoulou. And it, it, go, it talks about, you know, from the Bible and from other uh, things around the time about, about God's penis and his, his strong legs and his arms and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, so it, there's some history there, but possibly, but it feels like we should have gone gotten past that. Yeah, I and the I just don't even know what it would mean for God to be a male or female in our understanding of things. And I, I think that logically, even even um, complementarian or patriarchal Christians would admit that like God is not the kind of thing that we are. Mm-hmm. Not even close to the same kind of thing that we are and if anything 
God's character is a combination of the things that we are or our com- combined and unified genders yeah. are the closest approximation of what it means to be God's image. Not this goes back to collectivism and individualism, not our individual bodies, but our collective body is the image of, mm. of God. Yeah. Not, not I am so great. I am an image of God, but we are so great male and female. We together are an image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And one, one question to kind of follow this up is what have we missed by ignoring the female aspects of God? And uh, I don't know, maybe a lot. That reminds me of there are some problematic verses like in Christ Jesus, there is no male nor female. Right. Um, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can mean so many different things depending on what lens you're reading it through. But I've always loved this story where these religious teachers come to Jesus with what they think is a stumper of a question. And their question, I believe, is a stumper for our understanding of heaven, too. It's, hey, a guy gets married, but then um, he dies. So then that woman marries another person, and he dies. And that woman marries another person, and he dies. Who gets to be married her in the resurrection? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think of the resurrection as we get to be with our wife or our dog or our whoever in kind of the same kind of relationship. And so that kind of a question is a legitimate question. What about Mm -hmm. the widow who remarries? If, if heaven works that way, who is she going to be married to both of them? (laughs) Only, only one, you know, there's no right answer, which is why this seems like such a great Jesus stumper of a question. And Jesus is like, you, I mean, what a silly question. He says, you're wrong. And then he's, he says, Oh, and when in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels. And I've always hated that it stops there as if we're (laughs) supposed to know what that means. Expand, please. (laughs) Like polyamorous. What do you mean? Like the angels? Uh, Um, You know, childlike. Do you mean not physical? Do you mean, you know, glowing white hot and, and not sexual um, beings that have to reproduce, right? So, I mean, there's probably a theologian yelling uh, into his headphones right now that clearly that means something obvious that I'm not picking up on. But (laughs) I like that Jesus's answer to basically this question is, oh, that's funny. You think that God has a gender. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait till you don't have a gender. You're really going to be messed up, you know, like... What bathroom are you going to walk in in heaven? You know, um, going to be a real identity identity crisis for for some people. Oh I think. wow, yeah. Another uncomfortable part of the Bible is how much marriage and intimacy language there is about God and people. I mean, Christ yeah. and the church, or or there is very much gendered language when it comes to that relationship. And explicitly mentioned as marriage is an example of of how Christ and the church will be, or Christ and the church is an example of marriage, and that's that's weird too. And it it stays weird if you stick really strictly and literally to marriage and intercourse and gender, and if you allow yourself to accept some analogy and then move past that then it maybe makes a little bit more sense. So yeah, I think there's a moving past the literal that can be useful in that case. God is not a man. God is not a man. There is only the son of man, which was the only time that those two things crossed over in the Venn diagram. Yeah. It's like, it made me think just now of the, of the song, God is not a man. No, it's called, the song is called white man. I think. God is not a man God is not a white man God is not a man sitting on a cloud The song's great. I'll I'll 
just have to stick a link to it. Um, but yeah. Zeus has really done a number on our understanding of God. Oh my word, yes. The God that we see is basically Zeus without the lightning bolts, right? Yeah, sometimes with the lightning bolts. I would say yeah. our collective and cultural, especially outside of Christianity, understanding of God or what Christians believe God to be is absolutely just Zeus. Mm-hmm. The Holy Grail, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. God. Yeah. And that's basically, yes. that's not much of an exaggeration of what I would say the American cultural idea of what Christians believe God is like. Um, that, that's pretty close. Yeah. I like the, man, I'm g- going to keep rambling. The nerd cartoon, I hope they're still around. And I have to always Google what order they're in. X, K, C, D. Yeah. The cartoon? Fantastic. Very sarcastic. Um, love a love of science and humor and absurdity. And the author, artist of XKCD draws God frequently as a non-human shape entity. And I love that. Really? I haven't noticed that. Yeah. It's a... I mean, I don't know how many of these I'm going to have to go through to, to get to a drawing of God X. Okay, CD, God. But it's like a, I'm, I swear I'm not making this up. Okay, give me 30 seconds. Go ahead. It's like a triangle or, or in, intersecting circles or something. today oh i'm thinking of a completely different person different cartoon smbc saturday morning breakfast cereal oh okay are you are you familiar maybe not quite as known as xkcd yeah so god looks like a kind of like a cookie yeah just a Geometric, yeah, like a a shape, shape representation, and it's very irreverent and very much not not by a Christian, but maybe a someone who deconstructed early on. And uh, I've always appreciated that that God doesn't look like a like Zeus. <laughs> irreverence, right? This one, this, this comic says, okay, the the God is speaking, the the round the shape. Says, okay, it's going to take some doing, but hear me out. Hear me out. Meat that makes more meat. <laughs> There's like an empty whiskey bottle next to him, and the angel says, you're weird when you're drunk, God. <laughs> Pause for lightning strike. Yeah, so there's there's some good stuff in there. If you can you can uh, hold your, your Christianity with some humility and, and enjoy the humor. But I I did just make a reference to comics that i have not read for literally 10 years so there should be a large disclaimer that i do not stand (laughs) behind or endorse in any way the content that you may find in the last 10 years it's kind of like it's kind of like saying oh i love bill cosby right (laughs) they're all expecting me and that's one thing i One or two more. Okay, I'll let you decide which one we're going to do. We are between why does the church treat doubt like it's such a horrible thing? And question two, how do we know if we're in a state of healthy deconstruction versus harmful deconstruction? Yeah, I don't know about the second one. I'm not sure how to answer that. It's almost like kind of like the question we answered last episode. Yeah, how do you do it well or correctly yeah, or the right way? I mean, yeah. It it the, the I think healthy healthily health wise I think it's more of a like emotional and mental health thing 
or your motivations for it type of thing. Very much so. I think I think the uh, the idea of having an unhealthy or healthy deconstruction uh, journey is uh, can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So I'm not sure if we can answer that one at all. Yeah, and and you certainly probably couldn't point it out for someone else. I think even unhealthy is when you do a healthy thing, but you get stuck in it too long. Childhood mm-hmm. is healthy, but childhood forever is not healthy. Right, right. Pain, anger, resentment, grief, all have these periods where if you pass through them or you are in them for a long time, that can be healthy. But then if you are stuck, then it becomes a place where you need help or you need community or you need stuck in an aspect of it, like finding problems. I've got, I'm a, by, by training, I'm a user experience designer originally before I got into this management stuff. And one of the aspect of user experience design is critiquing an existing design. Cause that's often where you start. It's like, there's an existing website product, whatever you have to go in and say, okay, well here, based on the, whatever heuristics you have or rules, the, these things are problematic. These things need changed. And there are UX designers who, you know, do that when they need to. And then there, I, I know a guy who, he does nothing but talk about bad UX, bad designs. It's like, ugh, I don't know if that's healthy. And so it's similar to deconstruction I feel like people who are so concerned with finding problems in churches and ripping apart the evangelical church or whatever it is, that can get to an unhealthy point, I feel like. Because I I, it's, I understand the desire and the need to do that, but when you get to the point where it's nothing you do nothing but that, you're not you're not deconstructing your own beliefs and, and trying to find truth. You're just ripping, like you're criticizing all the time. Yeah. I think it can turn, pain can turn into bitterness and resentment and eventually moving towards humility, grace, community, and even balance is good. But it's, it's one thing to say that another thing to recognize. It's kind of like how long can you stay in a bathtub until you get pruny, you know? And yeah. if you're, you can tell if you, I mean, if you're super pruny, you should get out of the bath and dry off and give it some time. So, but yeah, everybody gets pruny at different speeds. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and I think I'll take a swing at the, the other question you asked as well. Yeah. What was the question exactly? Why does the church treat doubt like it's such a horrible thing? Ah, that's what, that's what it was. Why do they treat doubt like it's so horrible? I think a lot of it's just fear. I think that that there's fear on so many levels because it's it could be fear of what if they're right and we are messing things up or there could be fear of if they leave, somebody else will leave or it could be fear of um, maybe they, they, they deeply love you and they're afraid if you go down this path, you're going to be lost forever. Yeah. And so I think there's lots of fear around and fear's not I I try I try my best not to live my life by fear. Um it's hard though sometimes cuz you get sucked back into it cuz fear is such a powerful motivator. Definitely. I really think it's fear. Uh, and I I you know, on my worst days when I'm super mad, I th- I think it's about want them wanting to keep power to like shut you down so you don't ask questions because then you will change things and leave. But I th- I think it really does come down to fear of fear of change. I think so. And we, we had so many great, by the way, community answers to this question. So those are worth the perusal on the group. Yeah. And that's a great thing about the community we found and part of what our our mission is is to provide space for part of the church that doesn't treat doubt like such a horrible thing or what does it mean to be in 
in community like this with people who are in and out of the church or in and out of Christianity, but very much dealing with their doubt publicly. And I would say my personal reaction to seeing this and experiencing it certainly starts with some fear. Like, what? What's going to happen? Or Mm -hmm. we can't say this. Or, oh man, what if we, like, where does this end? And, (laughs) but it's so far been, I think, a really beautiful thing because I really don't think it has to be like that. I think churches and people, you know, live in this, in this addiction to certainty and a grip, a, a tight grip on certainty that we see as kind of a hate for doubt. And I, th- yep. I have a vision of faith that is the opposite of that. That is a letting go and a trust. And that involves doubt yep. often, or if not all of the time. Indeed. That's the first step toward growth. I think. Or the fir- or the first thing you do before you stop and and go back into your shell. Mm-hmm. I I think that you have to have that absence of fear to to move past doubt into the next step. That's yeah. the hard. That's the hard part. Yeah, and Christy and I actually were just having a conversation the other day about this exact thing. Like, why did it take us so long to get to the point where we realized some of these things? Like, why why did it take so long for me and her to think that to to get past thinking that subjugating women in churches is just fine. That's the way it should be, you know? Because looking back, it's like, what, what are we thinking? Yeah. But it's it's so neat so, so often it was you start thinking about that thing differently and, and it's a little bit scary. So you you know, once again change reality and you pretend like it's not there. Until one day you just can't look past it. Oh man, the and we've talked about this before, but I do think there's an inoculation for the reaction to doubt, which is humility. You, there's a, I think that pride is believing that you have the soul and uh, completely correct access to truth. So much so that yeah. you can say, I have it this right. And people who think differently from me are not Christian or are deceiving themselves or whatever it is right. that is that is pride and humility is being able to say huh the the people who doubt or who believe differently or think differently or talk differently that does not threaten my belief and that doesn't threaten my relationship mm. with god or that doesn't threaten my position or that isn't going to explode this congregation because we yeah, we we have some things wrong, we have some things right. If we get something wrong, it's not the end of the world. If you find a mm-hmm. place that reacts to doubt, I think you will also find a place full of the pride that they have gotten everything correct. Yep. I think we may need to steal that bumper sticker that you mentioned last time about what if everything <laughs> that you thought was was wrong. We, we can make our own bumper stickers. <laughs> Let's see if it's trademarked. That's I like it. Shirts, hats, onesies. Yep. Tat- I need like a tattoo on the back of my eyelids that says that. <laughs> you don't want tattoos on the inside of your eyelids. It's not no, I don't want a tattoo anywhere. I, I'm scared of that. And I have se- severe doubts. And you wait, hold on. You're a millennial and you don't have a tattoo? That, is I... that allowed? I don't know if I how often I tend to actually not like to admit that I don't have any tattoos because <laughs> it it destroys some of the mystery. But I, yeah, I am I'm kosher. <laughs> you even got a beard. Good for yeah. you. I got the curls. I got the side curls right now. Oh, nice. Well, thanks for going going through all the uh, the cues and the R's. Thanks for sending them in, everyone. Yeah, this keep them fun. coming. Um, we'll do this again sometime when, when enough questions get kind of built up. It's kind and of, I don't know if they will again, because the all the questions were like deep theological mystery or cultural questions. And, you know, I would have been able to answer what my favorite color is, what uh, what <laughs> like good Vietnamese restaurants I recommend, 
Uh, so I feel like the cues were directed towards people. We've got a community that thinks highly of us, I think. Maybe more highly <laughs> than uh, they would if they knew who we were. <laughs> this question wasn't submitted, but I do have the answer. If you accidentally put six times more cloves into a Indian dish than the recipe calls for because you thought it was garam masala, oh, it no. doesn't. You can't just cover it up with anything. It's it's not possible to salvage. That's a lot of cloves, dude. It does not work. Um, experiment still in process. I don't know what what you would smell like the next day after uh, consuming that many cloves, or what <laughs> what amount of cloves constitutes a medical emergency. <laughs> But it's not... Um, you went ahead and ate it? <laughs> there is not a way to cover up that uh, problem. So, Why are you like tasting cloves all the time now? Just that's all I can taste, yeah. That's all I can oh. smell. It's pretty bad. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a, that Cloves, was a mistake. A little bit goes a long way with the clove. It does. It has for like a quarter teaspoon, and I put in a tablespoon. That's a lot. That's a lot. Ugh. Good luck with so, that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you just eat a pound of garlic to offset it. Yeah, know? I figured salt, tomatoes. Maybe I should have just six-tupled the recipe after that. That's not a bad idea. I mean, you can't get enough Indian food. Yeah. Well, next uh, next week we have uh, Rigid Eileen Rivera. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, until then... Keep following the fire, Daniel. Keep on following that fire. I said Daniel. (laughs) Keep following the fire, Nathan. (laughs) And Daniel. 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 All right, I'll see you later. See ya. All these messages I thought you wanted to hear. But it only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you got something out of the episode today. Check the show notes in your podcast app for all the links and references that were made, or you can find it all at followingthefire.com. If you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash followingthefire to become a patron. And of course, we'd love it if you rate the podcast and share it with others. See you later. God cannot be bought. God will not be boxed in God will not be owned by religion But God is love God is love And He loves everyone God is love God is love And He loves everyone God is not a man God is not an old man And God does not belong to Republicans God is not a flag Not even American And God does not depend on a government But God is good Every